It's tragic, really. We all have a story. A dark secret wrapped in emptiness and regret. You know. The Toll. I'm Nancy Simpson. We met at a coffee shop. I walked in. It was busy, but I immediately picked her out of the crowd. Sarah, with an H. She was wearing a long red sweater with a heart necklace, and she looked like her. Gloria, her sister who was murdered in 1997. Gloria's body was dumped on a truck stop lot in Springfield, Missouri, July 13, 1997 to be exact. That's when her body was discovered by four truck drivers. Sarah Matamoras had bags filled with binders, filled with papers, newspaper clippings, pictures, keepsakes, all regarding her murdered sister, Gloria. As a reporter, I had covered Gloria's story years after she was killed, a follow-up with the family who met on the old Seven Gables truck stop parking lot in Springfield, trying to keep the story alive. I remember doing a piece with Gloria's mother, Ernestine, and sister, Sarah. Here's part of what I wrote that day. Those who know her best have tagged her mom on a mission, but this one is a mission no mom wants to go on. Ernestine Green is looking for her daughter's killer and is hoping a $5,000 reward will aid in that search. Standing on the old parking lot where Gloria's body was found, Ernestine tells me her resolve is strong and says this reward is heaven sent. Year after year, Ernestine would travel from Memphis to Springfield and stand where her daughter's body was discarded there on the pavement behind the truck stop. That trip in 2005 was the first to Springfield for Sarah. One of Gloria's brothers also made the trip. I had received an email from that brother, John Knighton. He thanked me for covering the story and was complimentary on the compassion I showed in the piece. I would like to thank you for coming out and covering the press conference on Thursday. It meant a lot to the family to have Gloria's story covered in such a broad spectrum, more than any other time in the last seven years. I tuned into your station and was able to hear the broadcast that you did at 4.15 that afternoon. It was well put together, and I thought a great storyline. If that does not touch a heart, then something is very wrong. Gloria Jean Barnes's body was found the day before her 36th birthday. No family gathering, no cake, candles, presents, no celebration. Gloria got an autopsy for her birthday. Who killed Gloria? I talked to those who knew her best and investigators trying to work a homicide that likely took place states away. As the layers are peeled back, I find myself coming to understand why a family, once so close, dependent on each other, is now so very broken. Accusations and mistrust, there's plenty of that in this story. The Toll. Hearts for Gloria. I had written in a journal about Gloria's case and recently found it. I started reading her story and reliving the sadness I felt from that family. The next day, I was moving some boxes in our storage area downstairs, and the email from John I had printed off, well, it fell on the floor. <laughs> okay, I can take a hint. Well, back then in 2005, the murder was 14 years old. Was that email address even still active? Yeah, it was. John expressed disbelief in his reply, saying he never thought anyone would ever ask about his sister again. More than two decades is a long time to search for answers. 
Gloria's body was so far from home, which at the time was Joyner, Arkansas. Joyner is a very small town just north of the Tennessee border. It's about 40 minutes north of Memphis and nearly five hours from Springfield, Missouri. When we talk later about Gloria moving back and forth to stay with family, just remember that Memphis and Joyner aren't that far apart, about 40 minutes away. Gloria's body was found on the parking lot there on the pavement behind what used to be Seven Gables truck stop along a busy road in Springfield, Missouri. It's not far from the interstate and was a popular stop for truck drivers back in 1997 when Gloria was murdered. Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson says the call came in at 829 in the morning, again, July 13th, 1997. When officers arrived there, they found Gloria Barnes deceased in the back part of the uh, the parking lot back there. It was frequented by lots of truck drivers, that sort of thing. Um, and basically that's where they started the investigation at that point. Very hot day. Um, they worked uh, quite a while attempting to collect evidence, anything around there. Um, was her body wrapped in something as I understand? Yeah, it was, uh, it was wrapped in uh, as a type of blanket. So somebody had wrapped her up and then left her there. Gloria was stabbed once in the breast, several times in her thigh, but the autopsy report says Gloria ultimately died from being beaten in the head, blunt force trauma, skull fracture. I asked Lieutenant Wilson about what investigators can tell from these injuries. Possible struggle, the injuries, you know, like on her legs and the chest, that sort of thing. Struggle could also indicate more anger, hostile from the suspect. Uh, again, I'm speculating. Right. Um, and, 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 but usually you see those kind of wounds with somebody who is angry at somebody. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes and no. They're all so different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you're angry at somebody and you're in a struggle. A lot of times in a knife fight, there are going to be wounds that are just not, you're stabbed in the heart or you're, you know, somebody trying to get away. Was she trying to get away? Was he, was she in the cab of the truck? Were they outside? That sort of thing. So it would indicate that he just didn't surprise her. From just that, the very stab wounds, yeah. Could he have been angry with her? Probably. Was she trying to get away with, you know, and a person that would do that to another person? Probably be angry with her, but we don't know. We just don't. We don't. And me just speculating off that, I would say that she was trying to struggle to get away or struggle to defend herself at the time. As I research the details surrounding the investigation in the days and weeks after Gloria's death, I see police received two Crime Stopper reports. I don't know what they were exactly, but her sister, Sarah, says information in one of them referenced Memphis, which is how police knew to look for members of Gloria's family there. Somehow, police get a tip that Gloria may have been in a gray truck with the word Graceland on the cab and a picture of Elvis above the cab of the semi. Maybe the words Memphis consolidation and or trailer transit on the doors of the semi. This is all information I pulled from newspapers and the one sheet on Gloria's case from police. Gloria had made some calls from a payphone before going missing. We'll talk more about those later. Let's go back into Gloria's life and take a look at how we got here. Gloria was the oldest girl out of seven siblings, three girls, four boys total. Six of the siblings, we'll talk about John later, but six of the siblings grew up in Memphis. When Gloria and Sarah were teenagers, Gloria 17 and Sarah 14, their mother remarried and moved the family to Louisiana. Sister Sarah says things were much different in Louisiana. It was very different from the life that we knew because we grew up country girls and we went to church. Got there early and stayed there late and all through the night we'd pray, sleep on the church pews. and 
So we, when we moved to uh, Louisiana, a very small town in Louisiana, it was very different than anything we had ever known. And we were the new girls in town, if you will. I was 14 and Gloria was 17. She got a job at this hamburger place where they had foosball and different things. She met this guy and she liked him and she ended up getting pregnant and I ended up getting pregnant. Then after that, we moved back to Tennessee with my grandmother. And uh, Gloria and I had our babies five days apart. Uh, They both were girls. So the sisters grew up very close and now had an even tighter bond with these babies. But that time was short-lived. Gloria married a man from Memphis, someone she met before moving to Louisiana. Her daughter was now four months old. At the same time, Sarah's baby's dad came to get her and took her back to Louisiana. So the sisters were separated. Gloria went on to move to North Carolina and then Georgia and had two boys. Sarah says she knows Gloria was in an abusive relationship. While in Georgia, their youngest sister went to visit Gloria and reported back grim conditions like living in a camper, no running water, and a lot of despair. I knew that at some point she had been through a lot of abuse because she would call me when she lived in Georgia when she was in the bathtub. And she told me that her husband would grab her by her bra and twist and turn and bruise her. So I know that there was abuse. I just, I wasn't aware of the depth of it because Gloria wouldn't talk about it. Sarah says Gloria was beat down and didn't feel loved. And then the husband took the boys. Sarah says that was Gloria's main focus was to get her boys back. John, her brother, agrees. John Knighton is the youngest brother, the baby of seven siblings. He grew up around his brothers and sisters. I was adopted at birth. So I have mama who raised me and mother who gave birth to me. So that's how I've kept them separated my whole life. I've known my biological family my entire life. And the moms were friends. He says he gets it. Having been there, having seen some of the difficulties they've been through firsthand and and how difficult she had it trying to raise the kids that were already there and, and to throw another one into the mix. So I was old enough at that point to understand, okay, this is what happened. This is why it happened. But being around my biological family, whenever we would go visit or they would come and visit, being around them, I always knew there was something more there. It's like, okay, these are my friends, but I always knew there was something more to it. I just didn't know what. It's like I felt the connection when we were around each other. Now, Did the older children know? Yes. Uh, the, the oldest brother and Gloria, they both knew because they were old enough to know when I came along. In fact, there were times that I found out about later that uh, Gloria would try to run away from home to come and get me. That's my brother. I'm going to go get my brother. And so she would try to take off and come to get me. She wanted her brother back home. He says maybe that story right there is why he feels so connected to Gloria. She was 10 years older than John, but his memories of Gloria? Oh, she was crazy. Uh, <laughs> when I mean, if there was going to be a party, Gloria was probably the one hosting the party. <laughs> Always happy, go lucky, lively, you know? Always had a smile. You know, no matter what's going on, she always had a smile. That's what I remember. And then, of course, once I was told about her trying to come and get me as a kid, you know, that. <laughs> that's my girl. Yeah, yeah, that's my sister. Uh-huh. That was Gloria. She was the kind of person that I, I guess you would say everybody wants to be. She's always there. She's always got a smile. 
hey, hey, sis, you know, I got this going on. Well, what can I do to help you? Hey, you want to come over, stay with me a couple days? You know, you got hard times. You want to come over here and stay a couple days? Come on over. I got a spot for you. Got a full house, but I got a spot for you. You know, and that was Gloria. She was she was the kind of person, you know, that everybody wants to be. And uh, then she got taken away from us. So for them, especially Sarah, to watch Gloria go into a depression, heartbreaking. At 19, John went into the military, Air Force first, and then re-enlisted into the Army. He says he wanted active duty. John was what they call a scout. I go out and find the enemy and tell everybody else where they're at. Also, a combat lifesaver, some medical knowledge. Now, John is a deputy sheriff for a county near Joyner between the Arkansas and Tennessee border. Being an officer, he says, was a life goal. Since I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. I was just never able to get it going. And then, of course, with what happened to Gloria, kind of cemented that desire and made it more so that that's what I need to be doing. When he found out about Gloria's murder back in 1997, he was in training in New Mexico. And I didn't find out about Gloria until the day of her funeral. So the rest of the family is at the funeral home when I'm finding out that she's not with us anymore. The Army, we were out on field training exercises. So we were pretty much cut off from the rest of the world, except for, you know, every little bit here and there, we would get to contact home. I had my little time, about five, 10 minutes. Hey, I'm going to call my wife, talk for a couple minutes, and then back to work. And it was during that call that I found out about Gloria. Unfortunately, it happened not to be until the very day that the rest were having Gloria's funeral. So I wasn't able to be there for that. That was probably the hardest part for me, is not being able to be there. It would be two years later before John could help find Gloria's killer. Come along 99, when I was discharged from the Army, was the first time that I had actually been able to come home. Me and mother got together. We came here to Springfield to sit down with the detectives. Even so, John took a job with AT&T in Ohio, 800 miles away. So working on the case long distance, yeah, it was hard. Sarah, Gloria's sister, had moved back to the Memphis Joiner area before Gloria disappeared. There she found a sister who was sad, beaten down. Something was very wrong. When she is in Memphis, kind of back and forth, because she was at my mom's. And my mom was trying to get her help because she was very depressed and nervous. She was nervous because Gloria used to say, they're going to kill me and they will kill me at night. And they, she was killed at night. Did you know who she was referring to at that point? No. The goal was to get Gloria help. And I want to point out, Sarah is very protective of Gloria when it comes to this specific topic. Sarah was very quick to point out that millions of Americans seek counseling for depression. Sarah has worked in the medical field for decades and wants to make sure any bad stigma that may be associated with seeing a counselor or getting some help be squashed. Being poor and being depressed doesn't make you a bad person, and it doesn't mean you don't deserve love and help. And I can appreciate a protective sister. I have one. So Gloria's mother finds a way to get her some guidance. There's a hospital in Memphis that we had heard would evaluate you and keep you for three days. My mom got them to take her over there to be evaluated. We thought she would stay three days. Well, unbeknownst to us, she got released. And she told me <laughs> she was cold. She was walking around the hospital. 
And so she got cold. She put on a doctor's jacket. So she got arrested for theft under $500 and impersonating a doctor. That's the picture. They also do your fingerprints. Which will come into play. Which will come into play. It's a picture used by the media when Gloria was murdered. I didn't know it was a mugshot. It didn't look like one to me. Then Sarah helped Gloria with the next step. So I went to court with her. And we were writing notes back and forth because we couldn't talk in court. <laughs> then after that, she still was kind of like pending something. And she was supposed to stay in Tennessee, but she she wanted to leave. I said, Gloria, you can't leave the state. <laughs> I said, you can't leave the state. But Gloria made her way 40 miles across the state line to join her to see her dad and stay with family. But she was arrested again for disturbing the peace. Family members had strict instructions. Don't get her out of jail because we're trying to get her help. Well, they wouldn't post a bond for her. Well, it made me furious because I thought, what right do you have to do that? So we were trying to get her help to talk to a counselor, to talk about her problems, life that was going on. After she got out of jail, we were talking and she said, I can't find out anything from the inside. I had no idea what she was talking about. Sarah says Gloria was distant. And again, something was wrong. And then the unthinkable happened. Gloria disappeared, but not without some clues. Hmm. Gloria was staying with extended family in a trailer park where other siblings also lived, including Sarah and the next to the youngest brother we're calling Matt. I'll piece the story together as the family believes it happened. Gloria makes her way past all of the trailers filled with family and extended family. She goes down the back way, down a road, and makes it to a convenience store parking lot and uses a payphone to start making calls. She calls her oldest brother. She's distraught. Youngest brother John picks up the story from here. There was another person, a, fr a friend of Matt's and a friend of mine when I, we were younger, almost like another brother. He was so close to the family, he was like another brother. Things that we learned through talking to the detectives, he was the last person that we know to have spoke with Gloria before she died, that we know of, because she made a phone call from a payphone in town to call Matt's number, and he was staying there at the time. But Matt was at work, so he answers the phone. That's the last time we know anybody talked to Gloria. John says frustration sets in when you talk about this phone call. Now, according to the phone records that we know about, the call was very short. A couple of minutes tops. Nobody's ever been able to sit down and talk with him. Uh, I don't know that he wasn't questioned by the police, but we've never been able to talk to him. Anytime any of the family tries to talk to him, Matt is in between him and us. And as long as Matt's right there beside him, He's as solid as a rock. He'll sit there and look you in the face and say nothing as long as he's got that shield. And none of us have ever been able to get close enough to talk to him. The story goes that the family friend then called Gloria's brother, Matt. We don't know what the friend told Matt. Apparently, this other friend called him at work and told him that Gloria had just called. So he supposedly left work, drove over there, but couldn't find her. According to Matt, he drove around for a couple of hours driving around town and never could find her. So he left and went back to work. Do you believe that? No, I don't. Because Joyner is a very small town. I mean, you could almost spit from one side to the other. <laughs> and the fact that we've all grown up around there, everybody knows everybody. If he's driving around town looking for her because he thinks she's in trouble, he's going to go knocking on people's doors. But according to him, he didn't do that. According to his time card at work, he was at work all night. But he says he left work. But he says he left. 
He said his supervisor covered for him. Hey, I'll be back in a couple of hours. Okay, okay, go ahead and go. Nobody can find out from his supervisor what really happened because the supervisor passed away several years ago. Why would Matt, their brother, lie? Or did he? Again, John is a police officer. He's analytical and he works hard at being thorough as he tries to find out who murdered his sister. Sarah says Gloria knew something, was concerned about her safety. Now, we believe that because she was distraught, maybe she spilled the beans. At one point, my next to the youngest brother said he made her promise before things got really, really bad that she would tell him. Someone else got a phone call that night. Sarah. Matt's wife called Sarah. Remember, it's like 1.30 in the morning. I was at my house with my daughter, my youngest daughter, who's three years old, and my husband at the time and his brother. And she said, Gloria's upset. She's calling. And I said, well, where is she? And she read off the number. I knew the number from the payphone because I'd used that payphone before myself. You know, I thought she was just upset and she would go back and be okay. I thought she was just upset. Well, she never did. That's the night she disappeared. At that time, I had a, a car that the uh, alternator belt kept breaking. And I thought about going, but I would have had to fight with my husband at that time to watch the baby or take my baby out at this time in the morning. But I remember having a cold feeling that night. No, I didn't go. And I like to have never forgiven myself for not going. You think you were the person who would have made the difference? My mama said no, and I don't, given what we believe, I don't believe I could have made it in time. The toll, right? But Sarah says someone did go look for Gloria. Matt, their brother. My next to the youngest said he went, he drove around, he didn't see anything and he left. And then he he left. I was thinking if I had have went, I think I would have looked more than just driving in a circle. I probably might would have went to my dad's house looking for her. Didn't even go to my dad's house. Gloria used to say, she used to tell my mama it would stop with her death. It's like she was protecting her family. Okay, so never in my wildest dreams did I think this story would take this turn. They are both accusing their brother of at least knowing something about Gloria's murder. We'll circle back around to that in just a bit. So Gloria goes out in the middle of the night, uses a payphone at a convenience store to call around a family, and appears distraught, and then vanishes. Gloria's sister Sarah and their mom go to file a missing persons report. We were sitting there talking to the detective, and he's typing it in, her height, eye color, weight, those type things. And my mom was worried about the bond, her being in court, and the detective stopped typing at one point and said, we have to make sure she's not a statistic first. And I remember sitting there just looking at him like, what What did he just say? I had my mom and Gloria's youngest son with me. And so when we got back to the house, I had an answer machine. Back in the day, you had an answer machine. And we were all going to sit down and eat pizza. And I hit the button on the answer machine, and it was my grandmother. And, you know, she was talking about my mom, and her voice was very strange. The next message that came through was the homicide detective in Memphis said we needed to go to 201 Poplar. And my mother just fell apart. She would have died that day if I hadn't been there pounding her in the shoulder saying, my little sister needs you, my little sister needs you. So 
we're trying to gather together <laughs> to go to Homicide, downtown Memphis. Sarah first told her brother Matt. My brother and his wife and their sons were living in the trailer park. We went to go tell him, and he never cried when we told him. He never cried. He called his wife from work, and we told her she cried. And we all went downtown to the police station, and one of my other brothers was there. Corporal Thomas from Missouri was there. Some of it's kind of vague because it all happened rather quickly. But I remember going in, and um, they're telling us that um, Gloria's dead. (laughs) And I said, I want to see a body. And uh, he said, well, the body's not here. The body's in Missouri. And as a matter of fact, they had to call to stop the cremation because they were going to cremate her, put her in an envelope. Jane Doe, brown hair, brown eyes. My mother about lost it, so I had to go with her to the bathroom to recover. And we came back, and um, I said, how do you know that's my sister? I said, I want to see a picture because there was, there was a fold. There was folders. So I wanted to knock off the folders and see it. And it's like I just pointed my finger at him, and I said, you're going to show me. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, how are you going to prove to me that that is my sister? And he said, what would your sister be wearing in the summertime? I said, a T-shirt and some shorts, and we always wore those little white tennis shoes that you could get from the dollar store or Walmart. We always wore those. Gloria and I did. And he said, um, you know, I said, she had dark hair, dark eyes. She was like 5'2", 140. He said, did your sister have pierced ears? I said, well, no, neither one of them do. He said, fingerprints. He said, we took fingerprints from the Jane Doe from the body that they found in Missouri. And they ran it through the database. And he said, oftentimes you can have 20, 30 possibilities. He said, but only one shot out. And it was your sister's. As their world was spinning out of control, the task at hand was money. How would they pay for a funeral? My mom had a lot of faith. I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. Matthew seventeen twenty, You can say to the mountain move and it will move from here to yonder if you believe without doubt. So I was holding my sister's picture on the way back from the funeral home. And I said, Mom, we're never going to get the money. I said, we're not going to get the money to bury her. And my mom said, where's your mustard seed? I said, it blew up and went out the window. But we did go back the next day with the money that was required. God makes a way. The funeral... Of course, it was hard. It was one of the hardest days of my life. You think when someone dies that you can, you can trust them and touch them, say goodbye to them. Oh, we got a cold casket. My mom asked the funeral director if um, she could see the body. Seeing is believing. And he begged her, he begged her, Miss Green, I'm begging you, don't look. But there were two people at the funeral who did request to see the body. Sarah says years afterward, as pieces started to come together in her mind, those two men fit into her theory. Sarah and her mom don't look at the body, and they can't let it go. Your mind and your heart work against each other a lot. Sarah and the family call the youngest brother, John, Jay. That's who she's referring to here, John. But she did go in the ground, and we did not get to see at that point. We're moving ahead eight years or so, and we went to Springfield, and um, myself and my youngest brother and my mother 
because I had been in medical and he had been in medical. He was EMT and various other things. And we made my mother promise that she would stay outside the door. The detectives um, let us see a couple of pictures. Some people say, why would you do that? And I said, I did it for my mother because I didn't want my mother to have to spend the rest of her life with a ray of hope because she knew that I wouldn't lie to her and Jay wouldn't lie to her, my youngest brother. So I had planned out what I was going to do. There was a small photo and then there was a big photo. And um, so I decided that I was going to cover it and look a little at a time. But for some reason, they had the big photo first. So I covered it. My brother said, sis, my mom was outside the door with the other detective. He said, don't you think you want to look at the little one first? I said, yeah. So I did. I slowly pulled. I pulled it down. I looked, and it was her body. Well, it looks like her body. And then I got to looking, and I said, what's wrong with her hair? And then when I looked at the, the bigger one, her face was all messed up. It was all messed up. I said, I can't see her mold. But the body frame and the hair and I, yes, it was her. At the end there, I know it's hard to hear. She whispered the word blood. John, the youngest brother who was in the police room with Sarah, was also looking at the photos, but for different reasons. Sarah was very adamant about wanting to see photos of Gloria. They were adamant about not seeing photos because, uh, and, and for obvious reasons, we don't want you to remember her like that. She goes, no, I got to see these. But I had already asked the detectives as well about the injuries. And of course, they're like, well, I can't really go into that. I can't, you know, because of the nature of the investigation. However, I had built that rapport with Detective Neal, and okay, we're going to show you a couple of pictures from the file. My mother, she couldn't deal with that. She stayed outside. It was just me and Sarah to go in and look at the photos that they were willing to show us. She looked at it for her reasons. I looked at them for my reasons. A couple of the photos that the detective decided to show us pretty much answered my questions about the injuries to her head. He couldn't sit there and discuss them, but I could see them. Okay, now I can see what I'm looking for now. But having been a medic, having seen combat injuries, I know what to look for. And it, it makes it easier to say, okay, well, this could have been done by this. This could have been done by that. This kind of injury usually goes along with this. And so it, it gives me a starting point. It gives me something to dig for. When I see these injuries and, uh, and I start analyzing what could have caused this. For obvious reasons, they wouldn't tell us a whole lot. 
John, who is now a police officer, says he knew Gloria had been stabbed. Yes, we had that from the coroner's report. The information about the injuries was on the coroner's report. We knew she had been stabbed several times in the legs, the cut on her breast, uh, the injuries to her head. They were described in the autopsy report, but seeing them and, and their positioning is a whole lot different. And that's what I wanted to look at. So when they said, OK, we'll show you a couple of pictures, that's what I want to see. I asked John what he learned from the pictures. The only thing that I can determine, whoever it was who killed her, there was more than one. There had to be. We know our sister. Gloria was a fighter. You didn't come at Gloria and get her down without a fight. She was raised around four brothers. Come on. <laughs> you ain't taking her down without a fight. So just based on the positioning of the injuries, the nature of the injuries, the multiple types of injuries... There had to be more than one person involved. Remember, John was in the Army and on a training mission when Gloria was killed, and after that lived 800 miles away. He tried his best to keep up with the case, but now he's really trying to piece things together. The only thing I knew, basically, is what I read in the report, that it was found, it was wrapped in a blanket, which they described kind of like a moving pad, which you would put between furniture when you're moving it, that she was wrapped up in. Then there was some other kind of a rug inside of that. One of the phone calls that I made in my search to find out information was actually to the coroner that performed the autopsy. And I was actually able to speak with him directly. Some of the information I got from him was talking about the state of her body when they found her, the state of the decomposition, state of rigor mortis. You know, And to me, all of this helps me to figure out at least when certain things happen to try and come up with a timeline. One of the first steps of an investigation, what happened when. Gloria was last seen in Joyner, Arkansas, July 10th and found dead on July 13th, three days later. In the information that I've gotten from the detectives, information I got from the coroner who actually performed her autopsy, and more specifically towards the, the, the state of rigor mortis. That's something that's scientifically measurable. Rigor mortis sets at a certain time and certain rate. It releases at a certain time and a certain rate, which helps figure out when certain things happen. The best I've been able to come up with is about 24 hours, within about a 24-hour time span. But I can't narrow it because I don't have any further information. Just based on what little information I have, I've been able to come up with about a 24-hour time span of when she actually died. Ask Springfield Police Lieutenant Cully Wilson about how the body was found. The blanket is so somebody's still trying to hide her. Why would he? Why would they roll her up? There, there's questions in there, so you got to put yourself in the suspect's uh, spot. Uh, why go through the the rigmarole of rolling her body up? Okay, why not just dump her? It's dark. It's well, I'm assuming it was dark back there. The truck's back there. Why not just throw her body? So probably trying to get himself more time. Uh, roll her up in the blanket. Nobody's gonna notice. So just a rolled up blanket back here. Everybody's seen a rolled up carpet before, and you just don't they don't notice it. Probably give him some more time to get away from the scene is my uh, speculation. Sarah says early on, investigators told her the body was left on a parking lot, pretty much in plain sight of the truck drivers, to send a message. Lieutenant Wilson questions that. Yeah, what message? I don't like going the message road. Just because I don't go that route. We see it in the movies and TV shows a lot. It pigeonholes you to a theory when usually it's the simpler reason. I mean, you get pretty graphic with what happens with the body after someone dies and they wandered out of that truck because you don't want to be driving around 
on a semi truck with you know a dead body inside, and that was where they put it. Could they have been doing it to send a message? Could be. You know, well, if we want to go really conspiracy, you know, was they killed her? People knew the person, the suspect had her, and this, you know, if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. And they did it. I don't go that route right now. I go with the simple. It's usually simpler. They knew, had to know when they put that body there, it was going to be found. Now, they put the blanket around it so it wouldn't be found sooner, you know, so they could get out of there. Did they put the body there because, and it's another thing, did they put the body there because they knew somebody was going to find it, or did they put the body there because they needed to get it out of their vehicle? It could go either way. Me, I lean more, they wanted to get it out of it. They wanted to get away from there, but who knows? I asked Lieutenant Wilson about family believing other family members were involved in Gloria's murder. So when I talked to uh, some of Gloria's family, they absolutely believe other family members mm-hmm. were involved in this. Mm-hmm. They tell you that too? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, they do. They and make no bones about? No bones about. Their theories? Yep. In detail. What, what do you do with that? Um, we take it and use it. This thing, every bit of it looks like the stereotypical serial truck driver. We cannot narrow focus down that. And the family, they had the most information. They knew her. They knew where she went. They knew what she did. They, you know, they've been very cooperative with us and and gave us a lot of information. We have to we have to take that information and we have to verify it, of course. But we use it. We're not gonna we're not gonna say no. That you know we don't we don't have enough evidence to to say right now if they're if they're barking up the wrong tree or not. And every bit of evidence they give us on any in a case like this, we're going to take it to heart. The family is, is uh, very passionate about it. Have done a lot of homework. You know, they've done a lot of work and a lot of just down there themselves. So uh, the information's important. Uh, could they be right? I don't know yet. Could they be wrong? I don't know yet. I would just like to have an ending to it and result. Uh, of course, I want. Uh, I want the suspect. I want to be able to put handcuffs on him, bring justice. Year after year, for as long as she could, their mother, Ernestine Green, would travel to Springfield and meet with anyone who would talk about Gloria's murder, trying anything she could to keep the story in the news. Remember, that's how I met Ernestine and Sarah and John as a reporter when they came here in 2005. Prior to that, in 2003, six years after the murder, Ernestine decided to hit the road to push her Hearts for Gloria campaign to bring awareness to her daughter's tragic fate and help catch a killer. Her daughter, Gloria's sister, Sarah. She decided that she was going to ride her wheelchair, her motorized wheelchair, from Memphis, Tennessee to Springfield, Missouri, as a mother's crusade to catch a killer, to let them know that she is not going away, she is not giving up. My mother reached down on my sister's grave and picked up a handful of dirt and promised her... So long as there's breath in her body, she would never, ever give up. She put that dirt in a photo album. Until the day she died, my mother never gave up. And my brother and I continue. Ernestine had three wheelchairs, one motorized for the stretches of highway and hills, and two she rolled herself the rest of the way. She left Memphis on a Saturday, Labor Day weekend, and made it to Springfield on Tuesday, traveling around 80 miles a day. In black marker, she had a mother's crusade to catch a killer written on her white shirt. She did get in the vehicle in the bad areas, but where she could, she 
rode her motorized wheelchair. She had her hat on. They had one lady, I can't remember the hotel, but gave her a free room because they did stay and spend the night. But when she got to Springfield, the cop put his lights on. She said, Officer, I'm not speeding. And he said, Ma'am, I know what you're doing. He said, But this is a really dangerous area, so I'm going to ask you if you would just stop it here. You've made, you've made it. And she said, Okay. John says after Gloria's death, their mother was laser focused on one thing. Mother would do anything she could to keep that story out there. It didn't matter what it took as long as somebody told a story about Gloria. Whatever it took to get it to happen, that's what she was going for. That's what she came up with the idea of riding the wheelchair because she knew that would get attention. And in the process of getting that attention, she can tell Gloria's story and get it out there. She came up with that idea hoping to get the story out somewhere other than just right here in Springfield. She was trying to get it pushed further out and trying to get it out there more than just local. Is that why you're here? Absolutely. The bigger the net, the more fish you catch. Ernestine Green did not make that trip alone. Her son, who we're calling Matt and his wife, followed her in a vehicle. I know she needed somebody to go with her. There was no possible way that I could because I couldn't get away from Ohio. I know he was around this area at the time, and then he just said, "Well, I'll I'll get I'll get my van and I'll follow behind her, you know, make sure she's safe and and, and all of that." Which, looking at the whole picture, honestly, just kind of makes me think that's more of the cover up because that was still that was around that same time that Sarah started suspecting him, started several times outright accusing him. It's around that same time, so it really leads me to think, and maybe this is just a way to get them off my back. Next time on The Toll, Hearts for Gloria. She knew something on somebody that she was fitting to use against them, and they had to put a stop to that. He's in a truck. He's got this body. He needs to do something with her. And rolling her up in the blanket probably got him a little time. Not everyone has remorse. Not everyone is sorry. And that's how I feel. I don't feel they're sorry. She was satisfied with what I had to say. Why can't they be? Mother's already had to go to her grave without knowing what happened. Don't go to yours carrying it with you. This fits. It just that stereotypical kind of truck driver serial killer murder. It does. It fits. I wasn't looking for blood and, and you know, for my sister to be dead. I was trying to find her. I believe they got her at that payphone. A reminder that this is an open investigation, so police can't answer specific details, but the investigation consumes many big binders at the Springfield Police Department. If you know anything about the murder of Gloria Jean Brewer Barnes, your urge to call Crime Stoppers at 417-869-TIPS. John Knighton, her brother, has set up an email as he too works to gather new leads. That email is GloriaBarnes797 at gmail.com. We have pictures up related to this case. You can find them at thetollpodcast.com or follow us on Facebook at The Toll Podcast. The Toll Podcast, Hearts for Gloria, is a production of The Toll LLC. Co-creator and host, Nancy Simpson. Co-creator and executive producer, Jay Lashley. Technical producer and audio editor, Kat Morgan Gaines. Marketing manager, Pamela Shelby. Web design and digital creative director, Shelby Powers. Original music by Jay Lashley. 
Reproduction or use of any part of this broadcast without the expressed permission of the Toll LLC is prohibited. If you enjoy the Toll, subscribe, rate, and share. Thank you.